We're continuing our sermon series called Wake, Pray, Slay. So we do have a live event. So if you have a, a phone or a, a smart device, you can follow right along. We'll have all of our notes on the screens as well. And uh, we're just kind of excited about this year and even starting it with this series. This is kind of a fun series. And so I want to pray before uh, sharing this morning. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, God, that it's living and active. We thank you that, Father, that it, it cuts and divides. It's a two-edged sword. And, uh, Lord, we thank you. Let your word do what it is set forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Wake, pray, slay. Anyone here ever heard that before? Other than last week when Pastor Joy first said it? Anybody ever hear that? It's, I guess it's a, it's a very... Um, viral type of like wording, which basically we're going to get into a little bit and what that what that all means. I'm sure Pastor Joy kind of broke it down, wake and pray and slay and all that other stuff. And so, so just kind of with that thought process going on, the problem is that many people don't know how to wake, pray, slay. Instead, we know how to fake, play, and stray. <laughs> oh, yes. I like that fun word term. Fun Fun wordplay there. Fake, play, stray. That's what a lot of people do. They, they don't wake and pray and slay. They fake. You know, they just pretend like they're doing it. They play church or they play. They pretend like they've got it all together and their life is really a mess. And they stray. You know, they just do what they want to do. So good thing that Jesus says that my sheep know my voice, right? And he keeps us in line so that we don't stray. And so a few years ago, I preached a message, and so I just want to just talk about just a, a f- part of it for a minute. I preached a message called the monotonous cycle. I hope I'm going to spell this right here. So M-O-N-O-T-O-N-O-U-S, I believe. So the monotonous cycle, hopefully that's spelled right. And uh, in nearly two decades of ministry, I have seen, can everybody see this? Okay. In nearly two decades of ministry, man, this thing's strong. It's like, whoa, I got a good whiff of it. In nearly, t- in nearly two decades of ministry, I've seen people in their walk with God, they, they, ha- they, they find themselves in this pattern. And so what happens is a person, you know, they commit their life to Christ, or they say yes to God, they start uh, responding to God. And so in, in any way, fashion, or form, you start at this point and you start saying yes to God. And so what happens is, how many of us know that the Lord lifts us? Right? How many of us know that? Right? When you say, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you are, or, or what your background is, when you respond to God, you go from this point and you start moving in a direction that way. Right? Right? I mean, he, he draws us up. He calls us up. I mean, there's, God doesn't force you down. He doesn't say, okay, now live your life worse than you did before. He, he calls us up, okay? So I see people in their walk with Christ, and so maybe they, maybe they say no to drugs. Maybe they start, you know, living their life for Jesus. They start sleeping around, whatever it is. You know, they, stay, they stop sinning. They start saying yes to God. God starts doing. He starts what? He blesses those in obedience. So God starts pouring out blessings because of obedience. So maybe, you know, maybe they were having a hard time at their job or they couldn't keep a job. So now they're finding themselves keep a job or, or whatever. And so God starts showing up and showing off in, in awesome ways. And so this person is now seeing like 
this swing happen in their life where God is doing these things. And so, so a person's responding to God, they're moving forward, you know, maybe God's mending relationships, he's breaking them free from strongholds and addictions, changing the way they think, and so they're moving upward. God's calling them up. And so I found this, I've seen people do this numerous, and then sometimes people get to this pinnacle, they get to this peak, and they get to this point where they kind of plateau a little bit right there. And so maybe, maybe, there, maybe there's something in their life that has a stronghold on them. Maybe there's a mindset that they just have a hard time getting over. Maybe there's some baggage, some hurt, some stuff that happened, you know, early in life. And they just, you know, maybe they have some unforgettable, whatever, whatever it might be. Or maybe there's just, maybe they, maybe they stop the pursuit of God now. You know, they're, they're just kind of leveled out in that, you know, okay, things are going good. You know, you're not, you're not really pursuing the Lord like you were when you were here. And so they kind of plateau. And so instead of breaking through that, that barrier, instead of going forward and moving forward, what, what a lot of times people do is they go backwards. So instead of going up, they go back and they find themselves going back down and going in this direction. And so they, well, I don't know, that could be they backslide. Maybe they... Maybe they open the door for sin issues that they once closed. Maybe they find themselves going back to some old friends that they, were, that they weren't hanging out with anymore. Maybe uh, whatever it is. You know, they get to this point, and instead of moving forward, they go back down. And so I've seen this happen in nearly two decades of ministry. I'm sure, Pastor, you've seen this happen in how many years were you in ministry? 30 years of ministry. And, and, and you've got people, they live their life like this. So they, so they hit rock bottom, they respond to God, they go to a point, they pinnacle, they hit this plateau where they, they just for some reason can't break through. And instead of, instead of figuring out what that is and, and, and seeking God and, and moving forward from that, they stop and they start going backwards. And so they do this endless cycle. Their life is this. They, they move forward, they grow, they get to a pinnacle, they fall. I call that the monotonous cycle. Because it's a life that's filled with that, of growing and then, then going backward and growing and then going backward. Friends, God did, has never, ever, this was not the purpose of God for our life, ever. God didn't intend for us to live like this. This is what happened in the wilderness. This is what happened, this is what happens when disobedience happens. When they were in the wilderness for 40 years, that's what that was. That's not what God called us to live. And so if you find yourself in a place like this, or if you found, if you can look at your life and kind of do an inventory and say, I've seen seasons where my life has been like this, then, friends, you need to seek the Lord and ask that he would break this. Whatever this is needs to be eliminated, broken, free, whatever, and you need to move forward. So, so if I was to illustrate what the Christian life should look like, it shouldn't look like that loop. It should probably look a little bit something like this. You start here, okay, and you're moving forward. Now you notice it's not a straight line because friends, none of us are perfect. Nobody, can, nobody has that nice straight. So, you, so you're serving the Lord. Maybe you backslide a little bit. Maybe you struggle. You fall, whatever. But then you, what? A righteous man falls seven times and he does what? 
he gets back up, and so he moves on forward, and he's moving forward again. And, oh, I don't know, you know, he's got some struggles, and so he, you know, he makes some mistakes. And so the grace of God, man, seven, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven, no, Lord, seven times seven, yes. So you're moving forward, you know. And so, so your life, when you look at it, it's not this cycle of you going, doing good and going bad and doing good. It's No, it's progressing forward, going upward, even though there's struggles, even though you have weak points, even though there's depression that hits, even though that there's times when you don't feel like you're doing. So, so our life is, is in perpetual motion because we're called to be up here to be with him. This is the end result that we would be with Jesus. Our life, how, what I look like 20 years ago shouldn't be what I look like today. Maybe, maybe I'm right here. Maybe I'm right here. Hopefully I'm not up here. But, but that's, this, is what, this is what, you know, we have our ups and our downs ups and our downs, but we're moving forward. And so if you find yourself in the same place you were last year, if you can look back at 2017 and in January of 2017 and you look at your spiritual life and you look at your, you look at your life and you just look at your inventory and you can say, I'm in the exact same place I was last year, most likely you're doing this and not doing this. Friends, it's a new year. Say new year. It's a new season. Say new season. God gives us a fresh start. Say fresh start. You know, I, the thing I love about New Year's, it's almost like a refresh button. So like, especially if you have any kind of eating healthy goals, usually those are shot through November and December, especially if you've got family that know how to cook. I mean, you just, you're going to eat, you're going to do this. And so that's why a lot of people have at the beginning of the year, you know, they feel like it's okay, it's a fresh start, I'm going to go to the gym, or I'm going to eat healthy, or I'm going to stay away from carbs, or whatever it might be, because there's something, there's something, even, even if it's not in the calendar of God, there's something about cycles. How many of us know that God is a God of seasons? And so for us, and this is what I think is so cool, you know, for us, we tend to gravitate towards seasons of, of, the, of, the, of the natural. Do you know that? For example, when spring happens, we're going to find, when, when we have a break of good weather, we're going to find a, a lot of people are not going to be in church that Sunday. Because there's something about that fresh newness that, that, that uh, you know, it's nice outside. I mean, it's, it's, there's, there's new life. I mean, and so people are like, man, I'm tired of being stuck in my house all day. I'm tired of being stuck inside. I'm just going to go outside and people are going to, what, they're going to enjoy the good weather. They're going to go for walks. They're going to go to the park. They're just going to sit out on their front porch. They're going to go out and spend time in their yard or whatever it might be. There's this what? It's spring. It's new life. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's that season where, where things are growing. And then summer, I mean, summer is when everybody's out and they're partying and they're having a good time and they're enjoying the weather. And, and so we actually find ourselves kind of gravitating towards the natural cycle of seasons. And do you know that in, in wintertime, I mean, that, do you know that's when the greatest depression usually happens for people? Isn't that quite interesting? That's when more people are depressed that's when more people, you know, are secluded. It's when more people are introverted and they stick to themselves. It's kind of funny how we, how we gravitate towards the natural seasons because God is on a seasonal calendar. And so this is a new season. Say new season. It's a new season. I like that God does that. God wants to bring 
to life the things that are spiritually dead, the things that are dead in our life, whether it be marriage, our faith, whatever that might be. So we're talking about wake, pray, and slay. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14 says this. It says, this is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Wake up. Look at your neighbor and say, wake up. You know what I think? You know what I think? Whoever invented, whoever invented the snooze button, they ruined our life. I mean, that's, that, is, that is the worst invention ever created. I mean, we, I mean, we are like, you know, we have a hard time getting up, so let's create, let's make an alarm clock. Great, that's a great idea. Make something that makes annoying sounds that, that will, you know, annoy us enough to get us out of bed. But whoever designed the snooze button, man, they just royally screwed us up. Because you set the alarm for you to wake up that time. So when that alarm, how many of us, I mean, not on your phone, how many of us use our phone for, for your alarm? I mean, they used to have alarm. Does anyone here still have alarm clocks? Do you have alarm So we have people that still have alarm clocks. So, so I remember my alarm clock back in the day, it made that annoying. Does anybody, does anybody's alarm clock have just that annoying? I mean, it's just that annoyance. It's just like, oh, gosh, just shut that thing off, you know, and you got to. And what do you usually do? You slap what? The snooze button. I had an alarm clock. They made the snooze button so big on the top. Like this, like that is the most, this device was created to wake me up and then it gives me the convenience of a huge snooze button. But you know, that's what happens a lot of times what we do in life is the Lord starts doing stuff in us and we just kind of spiritually kind of hit that snooze button. I'm like, oh, okay, no God, not yet. Not ready for that yet. Hit that snooze button. And you know, on my phone, I I, I actually changed the sound because I don't like the annoying sounds. I mean, I've got a, like a nice little jingle that happens when I wake up. So, so it makes this like nice, cool little like, do, 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 you know. So, so, so instead of waking up in annoyance, you know, hopefully I wake up a little bit like, you know, sort of, oh, man, shut that thing off. It's kind of like, you know, hopefully you wake up with a little pep in your step. But same thing that this morning, I'm like, the, my alarm was going off, and, and Joy was like, your phone's going off too early. I don't have to go to Waterville. I'm going to South, so I'm going to sleep in. And I'm like, ah. I'm like, I'm like, get my phone. I'm like, Ugh. snooze slide. <laughs> slide, snooze button. God says, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ's light will shine on you. How many of us know that, that dead people, they don't, they don't care about light? They don't care about that stuff. How many of us know that dead people can't get offended? We were at a, we, we were at, we were at a we were at, this I don't know how bad this is. We were at a funeral the other day and and uh, and so our car our you know they have they have the trail they have the trail the vehicle trail that goes all the way around there and my car is about from here to to about the back wall right there and so so it was kind of icy so I grabbed Joy's arm I'm like okay let's go to the car and she's like we can't walk through here I'm like honey don't worry they're not gonna get offended. <laughs> they're not gonna, you know, and I'm like, it's. I don't believe it's disrespectful because if you're if you're visiting a gravesite and it's in the middle, how do you get to it? You can't like leap to it. You have to. I don't know. That's stupid. So let me just go on here. Just move. <laughs> Romans chapter four, verse seventeen. I did not even have coffee today either. Romans chapter four, verse seventeen. It says, "The God who gives life to the dead." And calls things that are not as though they were. 
the God who gives life to the dead. So, so that's what that's what we you know when we're praying when, when like even today when we're when I was asking God that He would touch that's what we're asking that God give life to the dead, that He would awaken people who are spiritually sleeping, people who don't have a relationship with God, people whose lives are in disarray. And so we're calling things that are not as though they were, as though they, they shall be. And so that's prophetic ministry, is you just declaring what's on God's heart and that that thing would, would go forward. And so, all right, we're going to move into this thing. We're going to talk about wake, pray, slay here. And number one, in order to wake, we need self-discipline. Say self-discipline. Oh, man, nobody likes that. Oh, self-discipline. No more hitting the snooze button, right? Man, self-discipline. What is self-discipline? Self-discipline, if you look it up, is basically the ability to control one's feelings, overcome one's weakness, the ability to pursue what one thinks is right despite temptations to abandon it. Basically, what it just means is the ability uh, for you to make yourself do the things that you don't want to do. Let me just say that again. Self-discipline is basically you making yourself do the things that you know you should do even though you don't want to do it. That's what self-discipline is. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, or another translation would say a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. And say it with me, friends. Self-discipline. Self-discipline. So in order for us to wake up, we need self-discipline, which self-discipline is the alarm clock's going off, I know I need to wake up, and so instead of hitting the snooze button, I need to get my butt up out of bed. And, and at least on the phone, it only, gives, it only allows you three snoozes. How many, I don't know, how many snoozes does an alarm clock allow you? Infinite? Like you just, you just keep, you just keep hitting it over and over and over. You know, at least on your phone, it only gives you, so if you got that five, it gives you that five minute, five minute, five, by that third five minute, you, there's no snooze. There's no snooze slide, so it makes you get up. And so self, what's that? That's what the second alarm is for. <laughs> Oh, good. So self-discipline. So anybody here used to watch G.I. Joe back in the 80s? Okay, G.I. Joe had this saying. At, at the end of every episode, they would say this. Knowing is half the battle, right? So if, isn't it, I just loved 80s cartoons. I'm, I'm an I'm a 80s a kid, and so I just look back at like some of the 80s cartoons, and some of them obviously were, were weird, you know, like you know, My Little Pony and stuff. But before, before or you know, the uh, what was it? What was it Strawberry Shortcake or whatever, or, or Rainbow Bright? My sister used to watch that, yeah, it was my sister who watched that. So, <laughs> you know, I, like I, my kids went back and watched, um, like. Uh, full house, and just like, and, and like at the end of each episode, they had like, they're going to give you some sort, something that you should learn, you know, like a little, little moral little, little thing, you know, they're going to have some sort of talk, they learned a lesson, whatever, and so I just, so kids were being brainwashed in a good way back in the 80s, knowing is half the battle, so if G.I. Joe is correct and knowing is half the battle, then what's the other half? Fighting. If doing, there we go. If knowing is half the battle, the other half of the battle is what? Doing, correct? So, so that's, you know, self-discipline, we can go ahead and we can break that into, into two things, if we can say that. So self-discipline, if we want to have self-discipline, 
then knowing is half the battle. Then, friends, then, then part of it is just knowing. Just know it, and then the second part is do it. Know it and do it. Look at your neighbor and say, know it and do it. It's real easy. Self-discipline. How many of us in here need self-discipline? Raise your hand. Now, the thing about self-discipline, it's the only person that can give you self-discipline is your spouse. No, no, not, not at all. Not at all. No, absolutely not. That's why it's called self-discipline. The only one that can give you self-discipline is yourself. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah your, your spouse can help you with that. So that's right. I know I need somebody to motivate me because my self-discipline helper is in South Toledo. So self-discipline is a part, in, and it's, it's so funny because uh, Jonas and I were just talking about this before service, and you were just saying like how God's kind of speaking to him about this. And, and um, I remember uh, last year when I was praying, and I remember the Lord telling me this. He said, no discipline, no fruit. No discipline, no fruit, meaning that, that if we don't discipline our lives, we're not going to see fruit in our life. So you can't have a fruitful life without discipline. And the only one that can, and I can't give that to you. You know, I, none of the pastors here can give it to you. Jonas can't give it to you. Paul can't give it to you. Your spouse can try to give it to you. But the only one that can actually motivate you to do it is you. Yeah. So let's move on. Okay, that's number one. Number one, in order to wake, we need self-discipline. Number two, like good old MC Hammer used to say, we got to pray just to make it today. <laughs> we got to pray. We got to pray just to make it today. Sorry. That's 80s. I mean, some, that had some good stuff back in the 80s. We got to pray just to make it today. When I'm thinking about prayer, I think of uh, a uh, an account that's found in Acts chapter 1. We're going to read four verses in Acts chapter, not Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 10. We're going to read the first four verses in Acts chapter 10. So if you do have your Bibles, you get to pull those right on out. If you have your smart device, you can swipe to this verse, or you can continue looking at the screens, whatever is most beneficial for you. And I'm going to read the, these few verses here found in Acts chapter 10. Verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Remember those two things. One day at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of the Lord. See, distinctly, he distinctly saw an angel of the Lord, excuse me, or an angel of God, who came to him and said, Cornelius. How many of us would freak out if you were just like, you know, you were just one day, you like open your eyes, there's an angel before you, and he calls your name. How many of us would freak? I would, like, what? Obviously, he freaks out, because Cornelius stared at him in fear, right? With fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. You know, because when angels show up, it's either good or bad. <laughs> so you don't know until the angel starts speaking. Because, I mean, it could be, that could be, the Lord, is, the Lord is calling you to account. Swipe and just hit you with that sword. I mean, it could happen. It has happened in the Old Testament. So, <laughs> Lord, uh, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. 
your prayers, gifts to the poor. So I call this Cornelius's memorial. Cornelius's memorial. Prayers and gifts to the poor. When I was, uh, how many of us know we have uh, noon prayer at our South uh, Toledo campus? We have noon prayer Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and so we just have a little prayer slot open from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock so people can come in, they can pray and stuff like that. Uh, so um, I usually run, uh, run it on Fridays, and so I was in there and I was praying um, a number of weeks ago, and um, I don't know if I was reading through this, but I, but I was just thinking of, of Acts chapter 10 and thinking of Cornelius and remembering those two things, your, your prayers and gifts to the poor created a memorial. And I just started praying really hard, and, and I, just, I just started crying out to God, and I said, God, I want, I want you to look at us in that aspect. And, and, I've, and the Lord spoke, and he said, I said, God, I want our church to be this. And he said, it already is. And I just started weeping because I'm like, God, what happened, what happened here? There's, there's, a, there's numerous things that happened here uh, in Cornelius' memorial. Number one, in verse four, he was recognized by God. So there was God's attention was brought on Cornelius and his family because of these two things, because of, because of his gen- generosity and because of his prayer life. So he had recognition. God put his, put his bullseye on Cornelius. Cornelius, and, and if you know anything, Cornelius wasn't even a Jew. He wasn't, he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't anything like that. And then, the, and then when you, go on, when you, uh, full, when you uh, read the whole story, I didn't have time to read it all today. When you read the whole account of what's happening here, what happens is, is God speaks to Cornelius, tells him, uh, tells him about this man named Peter. God visits with Peter, tells Peter he needs to go to Cornelius. Peter comes, walks in the house and says, it's unlawful for me to come in this house and to eat with you guys and those type of things. So he said, but then they, they both confirmed, hey, look, the Lord obviously has orchestrated this. And so what's the message that you have? Peter starts sharing the gospel to Cornelius, his family, his servants, all of his. You figure Cornelius is gathering all of his people that are around him because he had this vision to find out what's going on. In the middle of Peter preaching the gospel, the spirit of the Lord comes upon Cornelius and all of their family, and they all start speaking in tongues and prophesying. And the spirit of the Lord comes on them. And then Peter says, well, the spirit of the Lord touched them. What's keeping them from being baptized? And so they baptize the whole, all of them, and, they, and, he, and Peter remains there for a few days and ministers to him. So, so the first thing that happens out of this memorial is the recognition from God. The second thing that happens is, is God breaks racial barriers. Because you have these, you have Jews and Gentiles, you have the, the Rome, the, this Roman centurion and his family, and you had Jews, and they had this distinction, well, we're not going to associate with each other. There was racial barriers, Correct. So if prayers and gift to the poor break racial barriers, then friends, that's what we need to do. Because, man, we are just living in a day and age. Who would have thought that, that in, in 2016, 2017, 2018, that we would still be having some of these problems with, with, you know, with racial division? When you look in the back, when you look, when you, uh, anybody here ever uh, study revivals or, do, or uh, uh, the um, Revival that happened, uh, they called it um, the Azusa Street Revival. Anybody ever read about that? 
the amazing, and that was like 100 years ago. I think that happened in like 1902 or 1903, 1905, some, somewhere in that, in that era. So, you know, about 110, 115 years ago or whatever. And, I mean, and so think back in those days. Think of, think of the, the racial, and not only was there racial divide, they had socioeconomic divides. Have you ever watched those movies or have you ever done, studied uh, the history where people that had, were of, that had money did not associate with people that didn't have money? I mean, they wouldn't, you, you wouldn't marry somebody that didn't have money. I mean, you would be just a, a own, I mean, you know, you, you married within your own social class. So if you had money, you married within people that had money. And you look down at people that didn't have money. And if you didn't have money, obviously you didn't associate with people that had money. So, so in that time frame, i, I got to share this real quick. So in that time frame, God starts pouring out his spirit and the revival happens in Azusa Street. And so, so in this little storefront place, they're meeting, there's dirt floors, and God's showing up in powerful ways and people are coming to these meetings and you have people that are of high social status and low social status and and of you know black and white and and that would have been uncalled that would have been unheard of in that time and they're meeting together and they're worshiping God and they're and they're getting their their and they're they're responding to God because why because in the presence of Lord friends there is no Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor black nor white or 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 any uh, color or creed there's no division in Christ we're all one in Christ and so when the Spirit of God pours out, He breaks all of those stereotypes and all that pride and all that prejudice. Because, friends, that's what God does. And God did that here in Acts chapter 10, broke that stereotype, broke that prejudice. So when God pours out His Spirit, friends, or, or when in, in Cornelius' memorial, there's recognition. I want to be recognized by God. Breaks racial barriers, friends, we need that in our day and age. We're blessed. We're, we're beautifully blessed in South Toledo. We have a multi-ethnic church there in South Toledo. I believe when I was praying about this, I was praying about, about our church here in Waterville, and I felt like the Lord was saying to me, South Toledo is multi-ethnic, but Waterville will be multicultural. So I'm like, okay, well, what is that? So in Waterville, we're going to have a mesh of urban, suburban, rural, country, farm. I mean, you know, there's like this, you know, a cultural thing where people from, from different, different economic status or, or different cultures are going to kind of come together and we're going to worship God together. I'm like, that's fun. That sounds great to me. You know, where it's, let's just do it. Number three, God poured out his spirit. We talked about that. That's in verse 44 and 45. And then finally, baptism and changed lives. Friend, isn't that the purpose of the church? The absolute purpose of the church, the church was established so that Jesus can be glorified and so that people's lives can come to him. So if Cornelius' memorial, if, 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 the, if the fruit of Cornelius' memorial are these things, then that's what I want. I want Cornelius' memorial in our church. I want our church to be that, that we would offer gifts to the poor and that we would pray. And so I just want to say thank you because even like this morning, when we came in and we're setting up, man, we had some people and they're sitting here and they're praying and they're anointing chairs and they're walking and praying and then we pray together. And then we give generously. Even if you don't see it here in Waterville, we give so generously to the poor in South and Broadway. And so if you ever get a chance to serve in Vision Kitchen, I know we do that once a month, uh, this campus, or if you ever get a chance, and, and I just, and I already know, I mean, our, this, we have a, such a generous church. We, we met our end of the year financial goal. And so just thank you so very much. We have prayer warriors and generous givers. Thank you for being that. Number three, we're going to move on here. 
Number three, stay and don't stray. Source, did I say stay? Slay. All these tongue twisters. Slay and don't stray. Oh my goodness. What's wrong with me? Slay and don't stray. Slay basically means, when you hear the word slay, this is what basically it means. It's just a, a fun word, which means work hard, overcome, break their curses, bad habits, bust your butt, slay your giants. I mean, it can mean whatever you need it to mean for you to move forward. That's what it means. So wake, pray, slay is basically, you know, you wake up, you know, you have eyes, you see forward, you pray, you live a life of prayer, or, you know, you, you commit to the Lord, and then you do something about it. You don't, you know, faith and works, right? Faith and deeds working together. So slay can mean whatever you need for that to mean. If that means you need, you know, to, to break through some things, then do that. If you need to swing your sword, then swing that sucker. Just don't hit anybody. Just make sure you're hitting devils with it. Just don't, don't smack your spouse with that sword. Because <laughs> we can do that. That two-edged sword. Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. I just want to talk about this just for a moment. Just this one verse. Because we're talking about, talking about slaying here. One verse in Matthew chapter 25, verse 26. It says, his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I have not sown seed and gathered where I have not scattered seed. Okay, there. this is the inverse of the parable that Jesus is telling about the talents. And you have, how many of us, how many of us know the account of the parable of the talents? The, the, the condensed fast version. You know, there's a master. He has three servants. He gives them talents. He gives one five, gives one two, gives one one. He, they go out. They come back. God, uh, the master calls them to account. The one with five says, hey, master, you gave me five. I produce five more. Here's what, here's, the, here's what you've given me. The master replied, well done, good and faithful. Remember that, good and faithful servant. One with two, uh, he did the same thing, reproduced two, came to his master and said, you gave me two, I produced two. Here's what you've given me. Gave him the exact same reward. Well done what? Good and faithful. The third servant took his one talent and buried it. When the Lord, when the master called him to account, pulled it up and said, "You gave me one talent. Here's back what you gave me." And he, and this was the, re, this was the response: "You wicked, lazy, wicked, lazy servant." Buried his talent. So wicked and lazy. So I remember reading this and thinking, "Lord, the two things that I need to stay away from as a servant is being wicked and being lazy." So the two things that I need are to be what? Good and faithful. Come on, come on, Jonas. Good and faithful. Obviously, we can't be good in our own. No man is good, not even one. But, you know, obviously, you know, you are staying connected with God and allowing him to be in you and being faithful. So when I look at wickedness, I just basically look at as, look, man, this guy's life wasn't in line with God. You know, he didn't live a holy life. He wasn't obedient to what God called him to do. He even told him, he said, at least you could have put it in the bank and received it. I could have received interest off of that. You could have done something with it instead of burying it. And what is lazy? Lazy just means, you know, he didn't do his job, his assignment on his life. I believe that there are going to be a lot of people. It says many are called, few are chosen. It says that are, that are going to come, he even says, he says, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And, he's going to, and they're going to give the list, you know, he's going to give this list of these things. And he's going to say, I do not know you. 
I believe there's going to be a lot of people that they're, they're, they've been given things and, and, they're, and all they're going to do is present back what they gave, what God gave to them, and God's going to say, you didn't fulfill the assignment of God in your life, lazy. And what happened? Does anybody know what happened? It says, bind them hand and foot, cast them out to the outer, outer darkness where, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a parable of a person and then them not doing what God called them to do and they find themselves going to hell in the end when he calls them to account. Friends, we will not be able to give excuses on that day of judgment if we're not doing what we're supposed to do. The, the servant's one job was to multiply his talent. One job. And he didn't do it. So why are people lazy? How many of us know, I mean, we had a generation of people that were, they, could, they were called the builder generation. Most of our my, it would have been my grandparents and most of your parents, grandparents. So, so, you know, they grew up in the 30s and 40s. They called the builder generation. They're the ones they, I mean, they built this, I mean, I mean, this one's, I mean, our company or our company, our country had like, you know, I mean, companies were flourishing. I mean, they, I mean, just everything going up and stuff and building buildings and blah, blah, blah. And, and there's, I mean, there's just a generation of people that worked hard and it seems like from each generation, we've kind of like, there's, there's like, we, we kind of miss it a little bit, miss it a little bit, miss it a little bit, to where now, I'm not going to hate on millennials, but maybe I'll hate on them just a little tiny bit, you know? You know, you've got these people that they want to graduate from college and expect themselves to go getting a six-figure job somewhere. Where the builder generation realized that they had to bust their butt to get to that point. And so there's this disconnect of work ethic. And so, you know, why are people lazy? Well, first off, I think people are lazy because sometimes people are lazy just because they lack vision and purpose. So they don't do anything because they don't know they can do anything. They don't realize that there's something on their life that they're called to do. So that's why it says, where there is no vision, my people perish. Proverbs 29, 18. Where there's no vision, the people perish. So, so some people do that. Number two, uh, some people are lazy just because they're selfish. So like, I don't want to do anything, so I'm not going to do anything. And then finally, I think people are, are lazy, and there's probably more reasons. I think people are lazy just because they haven't been taught. Some people just have not been taught. How will they know unless they are taught? Some people haven't been taught work ethic. The one thing, you know, my dad did a lot of bad stuff. And... And I can go on, we can talk about all that stuff, but I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about the one thing, the one thing that when, when I saw Tim Hester, the one thing that I learned from him, that was every day, even though he didn't love God and, and, and acted like a fool, the one thing he did, he woke up every morning, he went to his job, he took care of his family, he provided, he busted his butt. The one thing that I can look back at my dad that I, that I think I received from him was work ethic. That's something that's just not taught nowadays, is work ethic. Some people just don't have it because they're not taught work ethic. Friends, how many of us know that we were actually all called to add value to people? We're all called to add value to something. We're all called to add value. And so when you're not adding value, you feel devalued. And so I think that's why a lot of times people deal with depression they have thoughts of suicide. They feel like there's nothing to live for because they don't find themselves adding value and then receiving value. 
finally, we'll close here. What would it look like? What would it look like to be a people of God who shared the good news and prophesied to them to awaking a sleeping generation? What would that look like? To be a people of God who preach the gospel, share the good news, prophesy to awaken a sleeping generation. What would it look like to be a people of God who pray without ceasing, who touch heaven with their prayers? What would it look like to be a people of God who slay every demonic obstacle through the power of the name of Jesus? What would that look like? Well, I believe that looks exactly like the, what the church is called to do. I believe that's what we should all look like. We should look like men and women who walk uprightly, who preach the gospel, living it out, who pray, who seek his face, and then we, then when, when obstacles and things try to cause us to plateau and stop us, through the power of the name of Jesus, we move forward. So one thing I absolutely love, uh, my, my uh, sons and I, uh, we watched through the whole uh, Rocky series. We watched parts of it, and then at the uh, Christmas vacation, and then we just finished watching uh, the other parts of it. And it was even funny because the one thing that he says, and I know it's not everybody's favorite, in Rocky Balboa, that's like the, it'd be like number six or whatever. It's not actually numbered, but, you know, he's an old guy. And there's this part where he's actually fighting a champion, and he's getting his butt kicked, and he falls down, and he's thinking of something that he told his son. And he said, it doesn't matter how hard you hit. It matters when you get hit that you get back up. And so he's falling down, and he's, and you could tell, like, they, you know, they filmed it where you could tell he can't see. He's all, you know, he's, like, dazed and confused, and everything's all, like, blurry. And he's getting ready, and he's just, like, and that little bit of strength that causes him, at, when he just got knocked to, the, to his butt, to get back up. And, friends, that's what God has called us to do when he's called us to slay, to keep moving forward, to get back up. Would you stand your feet with me today? Bailey, can you sing that song, uh, Love So Deep Washes Over Me? I don't know if you've started this year with any kind of goals or, or uh, with any kind of belief for this year. I pray that you do. I pray that, I pray that you have something that you're shooting towards throughout this year because if there's no <laughs> fail to plan plan to fail if you fail to plan you can plan to fail we should all we none of us should be really shooting in the dark I, I know this thing is faith I know we're called to walk in faith not by sight but but hopefully there's some spiritual growth targets that you have you know make them easy Read through the Bible in a year. Hey, I'm going to devote my life to more prayer. I'm going to try to pray every day. <laughs> you know what? There, there should be things that I believe. That's why we the wake, pray, slay. Because I pray that, that we would have eyes to see, that, that we would move forward in prayer, and that we would do something. And so I just want to pray for you today. I said God would just show you your value and show you you were 
called to add value to others. You were called to add value to his kingdom. You were called to add value to your family. You were called to add value to your neighborhood. You were called to add, check this out, you're called to add value to your workplace. Come on, somebody. Let me just stay there for a minute. You were called to add value to your workplace. You weren't just called to add money into their pockets. Obviously, you get the benefits of walking away with a paycheck at the end of the week. But you were called, your sole purpose there is to add value to those people that you're with. Hallelujah, Lord. Anybody here in here feel challenged? I'm challenging myself. <laughs> yes, Lord. Father, we just thank you, God, for how good you are. Father, we ask that you would break, God, every, every barrier, and that you'd break every lie of the enemy. God, that you would break every fear of failure. God, that you would break every underlining thought process that's in our mind that would make us believe that we can only do this or only do that, or we can only function in this way and not go beyond that. Lord, thank you that, Lord, that you don't limit us. God, you have not put a governor on us like how they do on some sports cars. You have not, like, said, okay, you can only go this far, and I'm going to govern that, and you can't. No, Lord, thank you that, Lord Jesus, that you, you called us to, from glory to glory. God, you've called, God, until, until we are with you in eternity, God, thank you that you've called us to grow. You've called us to be stretched. You've called us to go further. God, you've called us to, 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 to have greater faith. Lord, thank you that this process should always be of growth in us. We should be challenged. We shouldn't be bored. God, we shouldn't find ourselves in the cycle of doing the same old thing over and over and over again. But God, I believe and I decree and I proclaim in the name of Jesus that we would walk in the assignment of God on our life and be faithful. Would you just say that to the Lord today? Just tell him, say, I choose to be faithful. I choose to be faithful. And so let, let that and let that faithfulness, let that span in every area. Let that be you, you're faithful to him. Let that be you're faithful to your spouse. And so let that, let that faithful decree dispel infidelity. Let that mean you're faithful to your family. And you're not going to let your career ideas and your, your, your status uh, to, to overcome your family. Let that be whatever that faithfulness is. Whether you have goals, things you've placed before the Lord, being faithful to those things, or, there's, or maybe it's just one thing the Lord's called you to do. Just be faithful to that. Maybe there's multiple things. You've, you've got those five talents. Be faithful with all five. Just don't bury what he's given you. Lord, we thank you, God. We thank you. Let there be, God, a, a conviction for us not to bury the things you've given us and to be unfaithful, to be wicked and lazy. We just decree the name of Jesus that we would be good and faithful. Lord, I just bless your servants today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and may he give you peace. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Friends, God bless you. We hope you have an enjoyable rest of your weekend. Thanks for joining with us.